There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's up? Long time no talk. No show yesterday. The Royals played a doubleheader, so... Back for the first time since the weekend, and it feels like ages ago that Saturday happened, that Friday night happened, but this is first time chatting, and it was a bad weekend. KU got their butt kicked by Baylor, Chiefs lost to the Ravens, not a great week for uh, local football fans here. You know, the season for KU football this year is a little bit like somebody who joins their track team when they're in high school, like, you know, they're freshmen in high school, they're sophomore in high school, and they're like, well, I, I want to get involved somehow with the school and, you know, meet new people and, and do something with school spirit. But I'm not like, you know, I, I don't want to take hits and play football. I'm not good enough to be on the basketball team, you know. I just want to do something that I can be on the team, even though I'm not necessarily the most athletic person. I still have a good time and still improve on my own athleticism and work on my own goals. And that that's KU football right now because the beauty of one of my favorite things with like track and field is, you know, while there are the, oh, well, this person won the race and you still are competing with somebody else, at the end of the day in track and field, it's not just about, like especially at the, at, you know, the high school levels and the college levels, not as much maybe at the professional levels, but or if you're in the Olympics. But there's so much based on, personal bests or PRing, personal records. That's so important in that level of, of high school track and field. So you can join the high school track and field team and, and not be the fastest person 
you know, you might not win the event, but you run your third race of the season and you break your personal record time and you come away from it. You might've finished sixth or seventh in the event and you're smiling. You're happy because you're just improving on your own self right now. That's KU football right now. You can't really judge it as much based on, well, that guy over there beat me by 10 seconds. You got to judge it on, no, I had my personal record today. I got my personal best. And maybe if I keep, you know, knocking out personal best over personal best, eventually by the time I'm a senior and I continue to, to do that, I'll be on the podium. You know, I'll be on the medal stand. That's KU football this year. Now, it's a whole nother story if we want to discuss whether KU did have a personal record, a personal best on Saturday. I think the short answer is no. Probably closer to it in the Coastal Carolina games game. And I think that's what was disappointing about Saturday. Again, you know, the what happens in the Lance Leipold era isn't going to be judged on just what happened Saturday, but what was unfortunate with that game wasn't necessarily that you didn't win the game or that you didn't cover. It was that there weren't really any positive steps forward, it seemed like. Like, there wasn't something that I... Like, like the Coastal Carolina game, you come away from it saying, well, they were competitive through this amount of time. And you come away from it saying, well, Jason Bean, you look really good. I'm really excited what they have a quarterback. You know, certain takeaways. Uh, you didn't really have that in the Baylor game. And so it wasn't a gigantic step back. I don't want to make it seem like that was the case, but you just didn't really make any steps forward. And you're not going to be able to. Like, I, I'm just assuming right now when you get to Oklahoma week, it's going to kind of be this same conversation. But I, I do think through three games, maybe the lack of some things you would be hoping that would be more shored up, haven't been there, like maybe some fundamentals like tackling, uh, special teams mistakes, missed blocks, assignments that are messed up on, on blitzes from the opposing defense. Some of that stuff's been disappointing because that's some of the, it's not simple, but it's some of the easier things to wrap your head around, like just do the fundamentals. We can understand why six foot three wide receiver for Oklahoma caught that ball over you and just made an incredible catch. We can understand why this Baylor running back or receiver, once he got in the open field, made a bunch of guys miss because he's super fast and maybe they out-athleted out you. What you can't deal with is having those fundamental mistakes. And there have been probably a little too many than you would like through three games. I don't know how much you can chalk up to that of saying that it's the coach's fault. I, I just have a hard time putting any blame on anybody when you had such a shortened off-season period where you weren't there for spring ball. So it's going to take longer for all this stuff to be implemented, even the simple fundamentals. I mean, just like implementing scheme, fundamentals and that stuff takes a ton of time. And honestly, I I'm not sure what else to say about that KU Baylor game, big picture, other than, you know, that was unfortunate. But you've just got to kind of put a blindfold on at certain points this season. You're not getting an A on the test from last week, but you're not failing either. So I guess that's a positive thing. And like I said, it's like you're a freshman or sophomore in the high school track team who doesn't really know what you're doing. Just work on yourself. Don't worry about getting first. Don't worry about getting a bronze medal. 
Just get new personal records. Get new personal bests. You didn't have your A game. You didn't have your B, maybe even your C game against Baylor. But that doesn't mean you can't have a personal best next week or the week after that. Now, the other one was the Chiefs-Ravens one. And I, I was actually having this this discussion with some friends over the weekend. It's kind of funny. The juxtaposition that you're in on Saturdays of, of rooting for KU versus Sundays when you're rooting for the Chiefs. And when KU loses a game, it's just like, you know, oh, well, there's another one. Whereas when the Chiefs lose a game, it's like, oh, my gosh, the world is ending. Like, what what has Andy Reid done? Patrick Mahomes, are you kidding me with that interception? Like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, just kick him off the team. Like, it, it is the end of the world when the Chiefs lose because you're not expecting them to. You're expecting them to be the best team in the NFL, and that's just where the expectations are. But it's just so funny how, you know, one win, two wins can can make a KU season in your mind. Like, if you have that one special upset win over Texas and you only go 2-10 and 10 or something, but it's like, yeah, I remember. That was fun. Whereas with the Chiefs season, you lose three games, and it's like, oh, that was such a frustrating span of football. It's just kind of funny. Um, I'll say this with the Chiefs. You know, the big debate, I'm sure, yesterday on a bunch of the talk shows, since we didn't get one here, um, was why would you? Why on earth would you run the football in that situation? You know, I I thought that was a little silly. Like I I get the standpoint of saying you want the ball in your best player's hands, but like where is that cutoff? Are you just gonna run a Mike Leach offense? I, I'm sure some people would actually love that. Like oh okay, you're gonna pass a hundred percent of the time under Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying you should have a 50-50 split. You should definitely pass more than you run the football. But there's a reason you don't see teams passing the ball 90% of the time, 100% of the time. Because then NFL defenses would say, okay, well then we'll just adjust our defense and it'll be harder for you to pass. It's the threat that you could do either at any moment in time. Even if you're passing 70% of the time, like that's fine. But there was, what, two minutes left? It, this wasn't a fourth down. This wasn't a, hey, this play is do or die. Like, we have to convert this play to make sure we win this game. It wasn't a situation of you you have to get the ball in your best player's hand. It just wasn't that. And, you know, if, if you want to play the game, oh, my gosh, well, you have an increased chance of fumbling the football in this run. Well, why ever run a play? Just kneel the ball every play. If you're going to be worried about what's going to go wrong, just kneel the ball every play. Again, it, it wasn't their only play left, and it wasn't your last chance for Mahomes to throw. I, I think from a wider range, this brings up the issue more about the Chiefs wasting a first-round pick on a running back, but that play specifically wasn't the worst thing. I think it was second down. You know, you convert that play, get first down. You still have a minute and a half by the time you get to the ball. Clock's running, so you're making sure the Ravens aren't getting it back. You still had a couple timeouts, and then you get up to the ball and throw after that. I honestly didn't mind. I, I, I think I remember going into the play going, you know, I wouldn't mind if they, they run the ball here. So I, I thought that was a little silly. Uh, the offense, though, in general, though, I think does get a little blame for the game. On one hand, you score 35 points. But if you take away the pick six, it's really 28 points, which is still a solid amount for an NFL team. I mean, usually if you're around 31, 32 points, that's going to lead the NFL. But it wasn't like a complete outburst for the Chiefs offense scoring 28 points in a game. We see them score that and more all the time. And 
you had a chance to put that game away, the offense. They were up 35-24 to with the football. Couldn't score. Ravens got the ball back, went down and scored. You got the ball back again. Couldn't go down and score. You got the ball back again and fumbled the football. So your last three drives, you weren't able to put up points. You do deserve a little bit of blame here. But if we're divvying out pieces of blame pie, obviously the biggest one does go to the defense in my mind. I mean, even put you put up 35 points, right? On the road against Baltimore. I think you would have taken that coming into the game. And that should be enough in most NFL games, and it wasn't. This defense for the Chiefs is absolutely atrocious, and the return of key players did not change that. Like, you got two interceptions from Tyron Matthew, and it still did not really impact the defense being much better. Run defense is terrible for the Chiefs. I mean, this is worse than the 2018 team so far. And... I hate living in the, well, there's a zero chance blank can happen with this world, but you have, in my opinion, you don't have a chance of, of winning a Super Bowl with that defense that we've seen the first two weeks. Because to win a Super Bowl, you're going to have to win, I mean, minimum three games in the play playoffs. But if you're not the one seed, you're going to have to win four games in the playoffs. You're telling me the defense in one of those four games wouldn't give up like high 30s, 40 points, if not all the games? And that means your offense has to be perfect all four of those games, which I guess it can happen for the Chiefs, and maybe that's going a little too far because we've seen so far Patrick Mahomes is the ultimate equalizer in that everything can go against you, but you still have Patrick Mahomes, and that can be enough on its own to win. I mean, certainly that was kind of the case against the Cleveland Browns, but to expect the offense to be perfect four straight games if the defense is going to look like that because that's what you would need is not something I'd want to bank on. I mean, it's missed tackles. It's blown coverages. Uh, the jump pass that Lamar Jackson threw. I mean, if, if anybody's near the receiver, that's an incompletion because it's an underthrown ball, but he's a wide open receiver. How do you let that happen? And, and worst of all for the defense, the defensive line play. I mean, just no push against the running game. Zero pressures on the pass. The defensive line this year has three tackles for loss for the Chiefs, and the defensive line is taking up 25% of the Chiefs' salary cap. That's most of any defensive line unit in the NFL. That number's come from Brandon Kiley. So a quarter of the team's cap is in one position group, the defensive line, and they have been non-existent outside of two Chris Jones sacks in week one against Cleveland. I mean, what does this say about Brett Veach? I don't know. I've kind of gone back and forth on like, is Brett Veach a good GM? Because you, you see all these crazy, oh, he re-signed this guy. How did he make this work with the cap? And, you know, he, he evaluated Patrick Mahomes and all this stuff. But there's a lot of head-scratching moves in there. And paying that much to a defensive line that isn't doing anything and trading all that draft capital that got you Frank Clark, it's not looking good right now. And you just hope that you don't look back on this thing in, I don't know, five, ten years and go, how did the Chiefs only win one Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes in the last decade? The same way we look back at Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, the same way we look back at Green Bay with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, 
don't let that happen to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But the way the defense is playing and the way that Andy Reid has kind of been out coached the last couple games, some of those decisions that Brad Veach has made as GM make you question if you're going down the right line right now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Matt Tate of KUSports.com joins us in about 20 minutes. KU running back, Velton Gardner, is officially in the transfer portal. KU released a two deep yesterday. They updated every week. And Devin Neal was listed as the starting running back, Tory Lachlan, behind him. And I guess that is part of the reason why Velton Gardner no longer with the program. Lance Leipold spoke to the media earlier today. And, and I don't know, this maybe this was just, you know, picking up being overly analytical to exactly what somebody would say, right? But Lance Leipold just said, you know, he wasn't there yesterday. I don't know if that implies that, like, Velton Garner just, like, pieced, didn't say anything. All of a sudden, he was, they were just like, hey, Velton, where you at? And he's like, sorry, I'm transferring. It's kind of messed up if that would be the case, and it wasn't just like, hey, you know, I'll have a conversation, I'll sit down, even if it was an uncomfortable conversation and one that people disagreed. You probably at least should say something as opposed to just leaving, you know. I would hope that somebody works for you or, you know, they just tell you at least like, hey, I'm I'm leaving for another job or I'm quitting as opposed to just like all of a sudden, hey, where are you? It's just like, no, I started a new, new job. Did I not tell you? No. <laughs> How funny would that have been if like. He just didn't show up, and Kay was just like, man, it's weird. Like, we can't find this guy. Like, I don't, I don't know where he is. All of a sudden, on Saturday, when they're playing Duke, he's, like, transferred to Duke. I'm like, what? How? When did you get over there? <laughs> um, but there's a couple ways of viewing this with Velton Gardner transferring. One is that it opens up more time for Devin Neal and Amori Pesek-Hickson, and I think a lot of people were already here with this, specifically with Devin Neal, that... You know, with Felton Gardner, maybe he wasn't operating in the offense as well as you'd think. And it seems like he was built more for kind of that spread offense or the air raid attack or what Brent Deerman was doing as opposed to what they did now. And it just, it wasn't a good fit for him. What what makes this different then, because we saw this a couple of years ago with Khalil Herbert who transferred away, but didn't play through the first past the first four games so that he could retain his red shirt um, and still have that. What makes that different is that like it's a little easier to understand Khalil Herbert wasn't getting as many touches as maybe he would have liked. And, and part of that was because he had Puka Williams. So I don't necessarily blame KU because what are you going to say? Oh, let's give it to our best player less amount of times. Like, but with, Felton Gardner, he was still getting a lot of playing time that didn't necessarily match up with the production. So him wanting to leave is very odd to me. But like I said, I think a lot of people are ready for it to have more Devin Neal and Maury Pesikixen. So I don't think a lot of people are necessarily ultra bothered by it. But what it does do for KU from a negative, even if you are ready for more Devin Neal, which I've been on the the case of I think Devin Neal should be getting more of the lion's share as opposed to being a 50-50 split. But at the very least, you have to agree it lessens the depth for KU. You're already out with, without Daniel Hyshaw, who has a season-ending injury. 
Corey Pesic Hickson's working back from the injury. You know, you don't have as much running back depth there as you might have thought coming into the preseason now that Highshaw's injured and Velton Gardner is transferring away. And those are negative. So in reality, it it's kind of both. It can help you and it can hurt you. But I'll say this, I'm I'm really excited to see what Devin Neal can do moving forward. And I still think Amori Pesic Hickson has really good days in front of him once he kind of does get back into the full swing of things and get maybe a better grasp on the offense. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Matt Tate joins us in about 10 minutes. Short show today, out in less than an hour for Royals coverage. I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joins us now. So, Matt, you got to hear from Lance Leipold this morning. Saturday, obviously, didn't go as well as KU would have hoped. It probably didn't in the first half. Uh, do you view what happened Saturday in that game against Baylor, the 45-7 to loss, as a setback, or is it just chalk it up to, I don't know, kind of putting a blindfold on during certain moments of this season and move forward? Oh, man, that's that's a tough one to answer because I think you have to view it as a setback. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there was so much talk around eliminating bad football and, and, and hoping to get games to the fourth quarter and being competitive. And, and, you know, these guys, these coaches knows as well as anybody that that was going to be difficult, but that was their stated goal. And so when you go out there and you don't do that, it, you know, you have to view it as a setback now. I think it can be viewed as a setback and also be something that you can accept. Um, I, I don't think Lance Leipold wanted to accept it. I mean, you saw, you know, in that post-game press conference, he was uh, visibly fr- frustrated and upset about the way that thing turned. I mean, it was a game at halftime, and then it, and then it obviously wasn't anything close to that in the second half. So I, I, I don't think, you know, you want to say accept in terms of, hey, will accept this, this is okay, because it's not okay. That's not what they want ever, uh, whether it's game one, game two, game three, year three, whatever. I mean, that's that's not something that they want to get into the habit of, of calling acceptable. Um, but given the circumstances, given the fact that it is just the third game um, in, in, a, in a unique situation um, and a monster, monster challenge, I, I think you can say it's a setback, and also not be completely devastated, climb the roof and get ready to jump off, frustrated by it. I mean, it's the, the things like that are going to happen. Um, they're they're probably going to happen more this season uh, when you look at the schedule that's ahead. Now, obviously, the goal for KU is to get better and and keep improving week to week so that those things don't happen. But um, you know, I think that's a bit unrealistic. I mean, I think their circumstances are what they are. And, and this first year is going to be a monster. But, yeah, I think you have to say that, that it was a setback because it's not anything anybody was, was proud of. It's not anything the fans stuck around for. And, and so, you know, you view it as a setback and then you move forward. So I, I, I don't know if I hedged enough there with my answer, but I, I, think, I think it can kind of coexist in, in both of those spaces. Well, how I, I kind of compared it with KU football season in the Open was just it's almost like you're a – a young freshman or sophomore in high school and you you just want to join an athletic team you're not very good but you just join the track and field team and it's not about 
it's not about getting on the podium or finishing first or second. It's just about getting your personal record and just feeling good about yourself in that standpoint. And I, I just thought about this now, but if we're just cross-comparing scores from this year to last year, you lost by more this year to Baylor. You lost by more this year to Coastal Carolina. Obviously, last year you didn't have the FCS game. I, I don't know if that's a proper way of looking at things, but I, I think that would have to be a little disappointing at least that certain fundamental things like tackling and uh, things of that nature haven't necessarily improved. But I don't know. Does that stuff take as much time as scheme implementation as well, where it's just kind of the, the same valid excuse of, the fact that the coaching staff didn't get spring ball with the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a factor, and it's always going to be, and it's realistic, and it's part of the equation. But I, but I, you know, I think if anything else, um, you know, you know, you hate to say it because these are kids and they're busting their butts and they're working hard, and they don't want to go out and miss fourteen, fifteen tackles in a game and lose forty-five to seven. You know, and none of that, of course. But, but I, I think what that underscores is is maybe it's just this this whole turnaround this whole battle this whole journey is going to be won or lost on the recruiting trail uh, they've got to get better players and and i hate to say that it's not a knock on all their kids they've got some really talented guys that that belong on this team and in this conference and all that and then some of the guys that are out there playing probably do belong on the team, but they probably shouldn't be playing yet. You know, I mean, this, and Lance talked a little bit about that today. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not a matter of being willing to work hard and being willing to, to go out there and give it all you got. It's a matter of, are you ready? And freshmen probably aren't ready mentally or physically. Um, that doesn't mean they can't go do it, but it just means you have to adjust your expectations. Uh, I wrote a column just a little bit ago. It's, it's on our site now, but you know, I kind of, I, I liked what he said there. I mean, are you, are you, it's one thing to be willing, but you have to be ready and able. Um, and, and my comparison there was how many 13 year olds are willing to get behind the wheel of a car and go drive. <laughs> well, a lot of them would love to do that, but if you let them, what would traffic look like? What would the streets look like? They'd probably look like a 45 to seven beatdown, you know? So there's a reason we don't do that in society. And I think there's a reason that generally speaking, that doesn't happen in, in college football very often. So it, it you know, it, they have to get better players. They have to develop better players. It's not just a matter of, Oh my gosh, we're so far behind. We got to go find a hundred guys. No, you know, they've, they've got 40 or 50 guys on this roster that probably a year or two from now will be part of what they, what they want them to be. And part of, you know, a team that's on the rise, hopefully that's obviously their goal, but you just can't expedite that. It doesn't, it doesn't move faster just because you hope it does, or just because you have a coach who knows what he's doing or a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. So I, I think the real, the real sort of point of caution here for, for fans that are following this thing is, you know, you don't have to look at that result and say, well, Lance, Lance Leipold, same old, same old, you know, I, you don't have to do that because there are, there are enough indications that this guy is different. He, he's wired different. He knows what he's doing. He, he knows how to build this thing. And I, I think that, you, you should probably look and lean on those indications and believe that that's the case and then just be patient and let it play out and see what happens. Because 
it's just too easy. It's just too easy to sit there and say, oh, same old stuff. It's not the same old stuff. It's the same old result, and it's going to be for a while. And I think people have to accept that. But it doesn't mean that this, this thing's not being built differently, that the foundation's not there or being put in place in a, in a much better way than we've seen in a long, long time. So we'll see if that turns out to be accurate. You know, I mean, two, three years from now, if they're doing the same stuff, well, then the foundation was probably crap, you know, so, so then you can fire away. But it's just, it's just really hard to, to throw too much of this on, on the kids because they're, they're overmatched when they're out there. It's, it's too hard to throw too much of this on the coaching staff because, of, like you mentioned, they, they, they barely got any time to work with them before they had to go play. And, and that's hard. There's, I mean, you can, you can roll your eyes and you can hate it as much as you want, but that's, that's hard. There's no way around that. So I, I just think that um, – you know, it's going to continue to be about develop talent, and whether that means transfer portal or or improving the, the the talent that you bring in as freshmen, so maybe they can get out there a little more ready, a little faster. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to go after it, you know. But they've it's their job now. They got to find out how to do that, and and it's not easy, but it's also not something that Lance Leipold at all seems to be intimidated by or scared of or any of that. I mean, I, the column that I wrote was basically that the head coach's confidence right now is, is the most consistent thing with this program. Lance Leipold believes in Lance Leipold. He believes he knows what he's doing. He believes he can do this. And I think that's a huge place to start from. I mean, you have to, you have to view that as a positive because he stands up there and he answers all these questions and he gives you good insight into what he's thinking and why this happened or why that happened. And he, and he paints his picture for, for the future and, and, he, and he shares his vision with you and, and all of these things. And he's standing up there answering questions that he really had no part in doing anything about. I mean, he didn't create this mess, right? So... Um, so I, I think, you know, I think from what I can gather, I think most fans, the majority of this fan base, at least, um, is willing to kind of see that as, as the reality and give him that opportunity. And, and, uh, you know, the rest are, the rest are what they are. There's always going to be people who grumble and, and, and don't want to talk positive and talk trash and, and be annoyed and all that. And good for them. I mean, that's your right as a fan, but um, if, if you really think or want to be invested in whether this thing gets turned around or not, there's just certain things you have to accept as your current reality. And that's one of them. This is going to take time because they need better players. They need to develop and recruit better talent. And that's their plan. So I guess how important then is it to be competitive on Saturday? Because you know, you have the two sides of it, the, the side of it that goes back in with the, well, long-term, does it really matter how well they do this weekend? But uh, I'm sure from a short-term approach, you know, getting guys to continue to buy in, getting fans to continue to buy in for this season specifically, uh, I'm sure it's pretty important. So how important do you think Saturday is? Not necessarily that KU would win, but just that they're competitive with Duke. Yeah, I think it's always important. I mean, I think you, you just nailed it. You know, there's not a there's not a person in that program that enjoyed what happened last Saturday in the fourth quarter. It was all concrete, all concrete and bleachers, you know I mean? And, and that's not the goal. You know, you at least want to give people a reason to stick around and, and give them some hope that, that what they're watching is worth watching and, and all of that. So for that reason alone, you want to go out and, and put a better performance on the field and show them, Hey, it's, give us another chance. It's worth coming back. And, you know, then whether it is or isn't, we'll see. But, but, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. I think, I think, uh, you know, Lance admitted today that, that I, you know, asked him if, if their confidence as a team was a little bit shaken after that lopsided result, you know, because the first two weeks, even though that first win wasn't overpowering or anything like that, they felt good about it. You know, it was a win. Um, and then the second week, it's a good football team, and they were hanging with them for a while in that game on the road. You know, so there's some positives there too. But this one, there there wasn't much. You know, and so he he did. He said, you know, yeah, I think because of the way it unraveled, um, it did sting a little bit more. And so so as much for the fans as as for these guys themselves. You know, they they they've got to uh, they've got to stay believing as much as anybody the fans are going to be what fans are and, and that's you know okay there's this that's that's life and that's how it goes every year with every program but these players have to continue to believe and so if they were to go down to duke and lose 52 to 10 you know then you start to worry about well are they are they going to stay in there because right now as he said today um the willingness is not an issue this this group wants to work they're willing to put the time in they're willing to grind and and they're listening and the buy-in is high and good and all of that so it's not about whether they're willing or not it's just you know you, you've got to to get comfortable and, and start executing a little better and things like that so um if you go lay another egg, then then you start to wonder if that willingness part cracks a little bit, and 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 you worry about their their buy-in. Are they going to stay locked in and stay bought in? And you know, it, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. If if they do, they do, and if they don't, they don't. But one thing you can do on the front end of it is obviously go out and, and perform better. So you know, these guys are constantly uh, evaluating and addressing any possible way they can find an edge or or improve a position or a, or a, a series or whatever. I mean, that's what coaches do. Uh, but you really get the sense that this group's willing to do anything and look at all options. And uh, more importantly, that, you know, they'll go out of their way to tell you it starts with them. I mean, Lance said it, I think, two or three times today. He said it the other day as well. I mean, we have to coach better. And, you know, that's, that's refreshing. You want to hear that because as much as it's the kids out there making plays, He's right. They do have to coach better because there's some sort of disconnect that's happening right now, and it could just be time and reality and the circumstances. But so be it. It's you know, it's, it's your reality. So you got to go out there and find a way to, to to alter that and and maybe give yourself a little better chance. So it's a big, big game. There's no doubt. And I, you know, th- there's plenty of reason to think that they can be in the game. Uh, I think picking a win would be pretty hard to do right now, but. But there's no reason to think they can't go down there and compete. If they were able to go compete with Coastal Carolina at their place on a on a pretty, you know, buzzing type of night for them, they they should be able to go down to Duke and and do the same thing. And and you know, and then if Lance is able to find a way to get it to the fourth quarter, then you know, with a guy like Jason Bean at quarterback, you see what happens. And maybe maybe you make a play at the end and you pull one out. But that's a bunch of maybes and ifs and all that. So I think the goal should just be tackle better, you know, and, and, and play a little harder, play a little more tenacious. That, that, that sounds like a problem. They're a little tentative still, I think. And, and so, um, you know, be tenacious, be, be hard-nosed, and, and, and tackle better. Because I think they're in the right spots. Missed tackle means you're in the right spot. You just didn't make the play. So, um, you know, I know a lot of that sounds like looking for, for rainbows and things like that. But, 
but you know that's that's all you can do sometimes with programs in this position and and uh but but they've got a guy who's in charge of this thing who who at least in my opinion appears to be exactly the right guy and 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 prepared for anything and and willing to wear it all and and go through this and and um that's that's important because it is you have to go through it you don't just come out the other side by dumb luck you have to go through it and and he's done it and he's willing to do it again so um i don't know what that says about him i mean it probably says he's a little crazy to be honest uh <laughs> i don't know why you would ever want to go through something like this again if you've already done it successfully in the past but um you know everybody's wired a little different and and maybe that ultimate challenge of coming here and doing it here is was enough to to you know get him fired up again so it, it's going to be fun to watch how it all plays out and you know, maybe not as fun the rest of this year, but maybe. You know, I, I do think this will be a team that continues to show improvement, and uh, the bar's pretty low. So it, it shouldn't be hard to, to show improvement over what we saw in the second half last week. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world, KUSports.com. Matt, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. All right, Derek. Thanks, man. Take care. All right, that's Matt Tate. Check out all his work, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal world. One hour down. Half an hour to go. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Kevin Flaherty joins us next. Four o'clock hour out in about 30 minutes here to the Royals coverage on Rock Truck Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty joins us now on the show. So, Kevin, things didn't go super great for KU on Saturday, falling to Baylor 45 to 7. Uh, what did you think was the most encouraging and what did you think was the least encouraging thing to happen to KU football on Saturday? You know, the most encouraging thing I, I thought, you know, you could pretty much divide it into two halves. You know, I thought that they battled in the first half. They, they were outmatched, I think, from a, from a talent standpoint. You know, it, it's kind of interesting because Baylor wants to run a very similar system to what Kansas wants to run. And so if you wanted to look at potentially what Kansas could look like, you know, down the road a, a year or two or, or whatever, you know, that, that was kind of an interesting look at it from that perspective. But in the second half, Derek, I, I think things obviously really got away from him and it wasn't even necessarily, you know, it, it wasn't, I didn't think that they wore down necessarily, you know, guys made some mental mistakes. I think that weren't necessarily there as much in the first half, you know, it's that, that was the big thing to me was, and I think when you heard Lance Leipold talk after the game, it it seemed like there was some frustration there. And I don't know that the frustration was that the game got away from Kansas from a scoreline perspective, I think it was more that the game got away from Kansas a little bit from a discipline, disciplinary, you know, thing from a competitive standpoint. And I think that those were maybe the more frustrating things when you look at it because Kansas is going to have some rough outings this year. It's going to happen. But at the same time, you have to control the things that you can control. And that means understanding your assignments, getting to where you need to be, you know, and competing on an every play basis. And I thought it was really interesting talking after the game to a Big 12 assistant coach who watched the game. He thought, generally speaking, this year's Kansas team has really made some gains in that area. 
And so for the second half to kind of go the way that it did and for some of those things to maybe lapse into some bad habits, I think was the frustrating thing. And I think that that will be the sort of thing that Kansas will try to correct moving forward a week is, hey, let's control the things we can control. You can control getting your assignment right. You can control competing on every down. And if Kansas does that, you know, there's a chance to really lay a foundation this year for success into the future. So Duke is the upcoming matchup for KU. And, you know, I haven't seen what Duke did in week one. After week one, you would have said, okay, this is a winnable game for KU. And then after week two, it was, well, you were competitive with Coastal Carolina. Duke only beat an FCS team. Yeah. And then Duke goes out there and beats Northwestern. KU gets blown out by Baylor. I, I think the opening line was 13 and a half. I checked a few minutes ago and it looks like it's already up to 16 so how does KU match up with the Blue Devils I think there's I think that there's a chance that it's a little bit closer than the than the 16 thing you know the Northwestern game really got out of hand for the Wildcats early and then they they came back a little bit to to make things more interesting late and I think if you ask Fitzgerald after the game about his feelings on the contest, he would have felt like, hey, if we got out of our own way early, if we executed the way that we would, that we could have, the Northwestern would have won that game. And obviously it didn't. I think Northwestern is probably a better team than Kansas at this point. I don't think that that's a surprising thing. But I do think that there were areas where Northwestern didn't play well in where Kansas has a chance to shore some things up, taking care of the football, you know, doing the the right things. I I know we keep kind of harping on that stuff, but I think before you become a football team that can go out and beat other people, you really need to turn things around from where Kansas has been recently in terms of beating itself. And, And so I realize it seems like every week you keep drumming down on that point and drumming down on that point and drumming down on that point. But I do think playing a team like Duke, if Kansas is assignment sound, if they compete every play, if they don't turn the ball over, there's a very real chance that Kansas is going to be in this thing and potentially have a shot at an upset. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here, Velton Gardner is transferring away from the program for KU, uh, Devin Neal and Tori Lachlan are now listed as the one-two on the KU two deep. What, what are your thoughts on Gardner transferring away from the program? You know, it's unfortunate because uh, I thought heading into the season, he really had a chance to to be, you know, sort of a, a strong piece for this offense. And the reason why is, you know, he had that breakaway speed, and so if he could have sort of followed the scheme and put his foot in the ground and got whatever he could on every down, uh, I think maybe things would have worked out a little. Kansas's offensive line struggles early on. I, I think Gardner took the dancing. I, I think just about everybody saw that a little bit, and, and maybe the holes and things weren't there. But at the same time, he wasn't maximizing his carries by saying, okay, you may have missed your block, but I, I'm going to get my head, put my head down and, and get what I can. And I think that that's one of the things that we've seen early on from, from Devin Neal. He's a really talented running back. And yet at the, at the same time with where Kansas's offense is right now, the most impressive thing 
is that he hasn't really been trying to hit the home run ball that you see a lot of times out of out of every running back. He he's been putting his head down it and making that plant and going. And the holes might not be here there right now, but as the offensive line continues to come along, I think that's an area where he has a chance to be pretty strong. It's the other thing about it, Derek, is heading into you know sort of fall camp. You felt like this had a chance to be a really deep and really good running back room because Devin Neal is this four-star prospect according to twenty-four-seven Sports, and he's joining three running backs who had run for 80 or more yards in a game last year. When you looked at Belton Gardner, when you looked at Pasek Hickson, excuse me, when you looked at Daniel Hyshaw, when you added those guys together, all of that experience, the fact that all of them had had some success as a feature back, you felt like it was a pretty deep running back room. And now all of a sudden, you know, Hyshaw has the injury, you know, Pisa Hickson's been kind of on and off the the injured list and has been banged up. Gardner leaves, and, and you have you know Tory Lachlan in, in that group now too. But it's maybe not as deep a group where you feel like okay, we can go four guys deep without really losing that much as maybe you thought it would be heading into the season. Okay, I want to I want to talk some Big Twelve football with you as well, Kevin. Uh, Oklahoma got another close win this time over Nebraska. Where are you at with Oklahoma right now? Because they're undefeated, but a couple close wins against teams who, you know, even though Tulane is a good football team, it's not one that we're viewing in the top 10 or anything. Nebraska, it's not a top 25 program. So uh, is this worrisome at all for Oklahoma, bigger picture? Well, Bill Biedenboe you know, maybe the best offensive line coach in the country. And I think because of that, we've gotten so spoiled watching the Sooners sort of every year, even when they're starting anew, they may struggle early on like they did last year. And by the end of the year, that offensive line is pretty darn good. But I think that the offensive line hasn't quite been what they thought or, or had hoped. You know, Spencer Rattler's a good player, but hasn't really hit his stride as of yet. And I think you can put some of that on the offensive line and things disrupting timing and and all of that. The one thing I will say is, generally speaking, Oklahoma's defense has has been up to snuff fairly early on, with the exception of of that Tulane game. And even in the Tulane game, you know they they got after that quarterback pretty well. So I, I'm not officially in you know worry worry mode just yet. But I think if you ask me to rank, say the top five teams in the country right now based on what they've done this season. I don't think you have Oklahoma in that group. And considering that some people had Oklahoma ranked first and were picking the Sooners to win the national title, that's a little bit disappointing for, for what you've seen so far. Having said that, you probably still have Oklahoma, what, in that 8, 9, 10 range maybe if you look at you know strictly on-field results for this year. So the sky isn't falling yet, Derek, but it, it's one of those things where it looks like it might rain and, and the Sooners might want to get their umbrella out. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as, you know, it feels like to me, I've, I've just been in my head rotating wheel of, oh, no, maybe this team could finish second in the Big 12. And I still think I'd probably go with Iowa State or TCU. Um, so I won't even say top two. Uh, based on how Kansas State, though, has looked in the non-con, you beat uh, Stanford, who goes out and beats USC. You did struggle against an FCS opponent, but then 
you beat up Nevada, who had beaten Cal, and, and Nevada has, I don't know, I saw like CBS Sports had Carson Strong as uh, a, a top five pick in their NFL mock draft. Is there a case to be made, especially when Skylar Howard comes back, that Kansas State is a top three team in the Big 12? It, there's a there's a case. Uh, I think you know Skylar Thompson's not going to be there this week, uh, but it, it sounds like that was at least I, I don't want to say a consideration, but it wasn't just like oh yeah he's out. It was more like well he's not ready yet, and so that would be a huge deal if Kansas State can get Skylar Thompson back. I think Will Howard has potential as a quarterback there, and he makes the odd throw where you think, hey, that's that's an NFL ball. That's the type of ball that can make a defense fear you. It's not that they open things up that much, though, for him. And you saw Chris Kleiman, I think it was today, say, hey, if we're throwing the ball 13 times in a game, we're probably not going to have – that much success in the Big 12. And so I do think K-State's good. I thought, you know, it it was a really good point to bring up the Nevada game because I felt like that was a better result for Kansas State than the Stanford game was. Everybody was really excited about the Stanford game. It's a Power 5 opponent on a, on a neutral field. But when you looked at that K-State defense, I think the thing you wondered about or, or even worried about was how's the back end going to hold up against a Big 12 team that comes out and just says, hey, we're going to pick you apart. And Nevada's that kind of team. They're that kind of offense. And you brought up Carson Strong. I think he was actually the number one overall pick in the most recent (laughs) mock draft. So, I mean, you're talking about a really big-time quarterback, a terrific group of wide receivers. And K-State won up front, and they won with with a great pass rush. They won up front on the offensive line. And I know that football has obviously changed quite a bit, but it hasn't changed to the point that it's not still a great thing if you can, you know, win on up front on both sides of the ball. And so I, I thought that result was maybe more positive for Kansas State even than the Stanford game and showed that K State, especially if it can get Skylar Thompson back, if they can find some balance in that offense. You know, this does look like a, a potential top half of the Big 12 type team. Okay, so who do you think has a better chance of teams who were predicted to finish in the bottom half of finishing in the top half, Baylor or Kansas State? Ooh, I would probably go with Kansas State at this point. You know, I, I think that with what they have up front, that, that really stands out. Baylor, Baylor's offensive line is grading off the charts now for pro football focus, but Unlike Kansas State, where we have a little bit of the sample size of teams that, you know, Nevada is going to be a bowl team. You know, Stanford has a chance to be a bowl team. And so we've maybe seen them against a little bit better competition, whereas we don't quite know yet, hey, what's going to happen when Baylor goes up against somebody that can force it into third and eight and can force Gary Bohannon to have to throw the ball down the field in key situations where the defense knows he's going to have to pass. I do think Baylor probably has, you know, the better defensive potential, but I think Kansas State, especially with Skylar Thompson, and a lot of this projection depends on him coming back, 
you know, maybe a little bit sooner rather than later. Kansas State has the potential for maybe a little bit more balanced offense. A bigger non-conference win for the Big 12. West Virginia over Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State at Boise State, or BYU over Arizona State? Oh, I, I, I like the <laughs> BYU thing. <laughs> I hey, would think it would be BYU. Yeah, BYU and Cincinnati repping for, uh, heck, Big 12 could get three playoff teams. Oklahoma, BYU, Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I like what BYU showed. BYU is such an interesting school, and I know that we talked about this I think last week. But the way that you know the Mormon mission you know thing works, and then you know you wind up having kids that are maybe a little bit older, and so it, it's kind of a, its own different animal there, where the guys who are playing a lot of times are, are twenty two to twenty four as opposed to you know, 20 to 22, and it does give them a little bit of an advantage, you know, in some respects, just in terms of, you know, being physical and, and the different things that, uh, the different things that come with it, with age and experience and maturity and, and all of those things. But yeah, that was, that was really impressive. I thought, uh, Oklahoma State's win over Boise State. It was good, obviously, to see Oklahoma State come back like that. That offense still has to worry you, though, because it's nowhere near, I think, what a lot of us thought that it could be or would be heading into the season. And so while it was obviously a positive result, and it's a positive result anytime you can get a win, especially over a program like that, I think it was one of those where you still came out with enough question marks where you were kind of like, ah, I'm not not sure that this was the most positive thing in the world. West Virginia's jumping all over Virginia Tech and then holding on was was pretty impressive as well. And so I think that uh, that would probably be second to the BYU win, but certainly three good results for, for both the present and future Big 12. <laughs> all right, before I let you go, I'm, I'm going to start a new bit with you. It's a very simple bit, and I should have prepared right. for this uh, because it's based on the AP poll, which I have in front of me if you need for reference. Um it's just overrated, underrated. Very simple. Very simple. So uh, let's start with a team that you think maybe is a little overrated in the AP poll. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think that one of the teams that's overrated a little bit, and I, I talked about them earlier, I think Oklahoma at four, you know, really jumps out. I just, there is no way that right now Oklahoma is a top four team in college football. And that's not saying they won't get there. They have the potential, if everything comes together, to be the nation's best team. But right now, putting them as one of the four best teams, you know, that really jumps out. Clemson really terrifies you at nine, don't they? Yeah. Well, would that be your answer for underrated then? No, I mean, really terrifies you at nine in terms of just barely beating you know, Georgia yeah. Tech. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, 14 they, to 8. And, they legitimately might have, like, the best defense in the country. I mean, you could argue Georgia's yeah. violent. Uh, but their offense, I think it's like 106th in yards per play. It, it's it, it's wild. I don't know what to think of them. Yeah, it, it's, it's a wild deal. And obviously, Clemson's typically, you know, had an offense where it was almost like they could, not that they weren't good schematically, but they could basically roll the ball out and out athletes you. And I think that's the thing that scares you in a game like Georgia Tech is not being able to do that. 
Clemson's defense hasn't allowed a touchdown yet this year. And <laughs> if your defense isn't allowing touchdowns, you're going to be pretty tough to beat. And yet at the same time, I think that they're in a situation where they're not putting up points on, on much of anybody. And if they don't get that thing fixed, you know, number nine could seem like it's a little bit high for them as well. All right. So what is your uh, most underrated team? This is a team that I absolutely love to watch, and I'm not sure just how good they are, but my God, you do not want to see Ole Miss right now. With the numbers that they put up on offense, I mean, we we talked a little bit earlier about how Oklahoma kind of struggled with Tulane, and Tulane came back and made that a game. Ole Miss went out and squashed Tulane. And, And, you know, Lane Kiffin has that offense humming. They've got a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. Favorite right now. now. Yeah, and so when when you look at, at all those different things and how much offense they have, look at what's happening in the SEC over the last few years. You know, LSU sets records on offense and wins the national title. The defense was good that year, but, you know, didn't really come into its own, I feel like, until late. You know, Alabama last year, the defense maybe wasn't quite a classic Alabama defense, and yet they threw the ball all over the yard and and wound up setting records and, and winning a national title. I'm not saying Ole Miss wins the national title yet, but I think that it's really come out that, as good as you are defensively, if the offense is really good and just comes out and executes, there's just not a whole lot you can do. And Ole Miss is in that category right now for the type of offense that nobody wants to see. And being at number 13, that seems really, really low for that team right now. I'm not saying they won't finish somewhere around there, but based on what we've seen so far, it would not shock me if they were a team that that pushed up into that top eight, you know, maybe even contending for a college football playoff spot at some point. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work with 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you so much for the time, and uh, talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's going to do it for today's show. We're out early. We move over for Royals pregame coverage here. We will be back tomorrow. Thank you to Matt Tate. Thank you to Kevin Flaherty for joining us. Jesse Newell, hop on with us tomorrow. And might have a new co-host in the building tomorrow. So surprise, surprise for tomorrow. I'm Derek Johnson. This has been Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Royals baseball next.